1: Real generosity seems to be an endangered species in today's world. If you're a Christian, are you doing anything to change that? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah takes a closer look at this often misunderstood quality and offers biblical tips to help you develop a more giving spirit. If you're ready to live more generously, stay tuned as David concludes his message, A Life of Generosity. I remember growing up, uh, my father was a pastor, and he used to come
0: home sometimes from conferences and conventions, and he would always have something that was funny that he learned there. I remember one time he said, this particular convention, the routine and the reputation of the convention was they came to your city uh, with the Ten Commandments and a $10 bill, and it didn't break either one of them. And... Uh, That probably wasn't a very good recommendation for that particular uh, convention or conference. We should never be like that. We should be men and women who are eager to help, generous to reach out to those who need our um, assistance. And that's what we're learning as we talk about a life of generosity. Part two today, in just a moment, as we open our Bibles together. I have in front of me a copy of the book that has been created called why the nativity it's a special edition has um, all the questions and answers that are a part of the book bound in the center of the book are 25 beautiful color photos of the uh, set where this was where this was sh- shot where it was produced and um, it's amazing what was done I, I can't tell you how overwhelmed i am at what has happened with this the film itself is going to be released uh, the weekend of thanksgiving We're trying to pull all the pieces together to make sure that we do our very best to get the message of the gospel, the coming of Christ to this earth, in as many places as possible. By the way, there is a church program that goes with this where you can get the film and show it and the materials go with it. Uh, We'll have more information about that uh, perhaps next week. But we want you to know how important it is that you promote the film, that you see it, and that you let God use it to help you fall in love again with the wonderful plan of God for salvation. So get the book, will you? Get the book, Why the Nativity? And uh, when you send a gift of any size to Turning Point this month, all you have to do is ask for it and we'll send it to you. And it'll be our joy to put this in your hands. I know it'll be a blessing in your life. Okay, this is part two of A Life of Generosity. So how do we become generous people? this is what we all want to know what is the true path to becoming generous how do we cultivate this in our lives first of all you got to change the way you think about money to be a generous person you got to get over this idea that your money is yours that you are the owner the most vital step we take developing a generous spirit is thinking about money in the right way. Remember what the scripture says, every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from God. And we realize that nothing is ours to start with. We came into this world with nothing, we'll go out of this world with nothing, but in between the beginning and the end, Almighty God gives us the opportunity to manage some of his stuff. And he gives us resources. And he wants us to manage them. Those of us who are Christians, he wants us to manage them in his behalf to make sure that his work is getting done, that his purposes are being accomplished. And he wants us to manage it in behalf of our family. And yes, the Bible says he wants to enjoy what he gives us. But we are not owners. We never have been owners. And we will never be owners. All that we have, all that we have ever had, all that we ever will have until we get to heaven belongs to God. And he just wants us to manage it for him. How many of you know it's a lot easier to give away somebody else's money than to give away your own? (laughs) Just think about that for a moment. So when you're struggling with this, say, hey, God, I'm going to give some of your stuff away today, (laughs) because it's his. It's not yours. Number two, if you're going to be generous, you have to expose your heart to the brokenness of humanity. We live in a prosperous nation. We have a welfare system, which, though it's very flawed, provides a safety net to needy people. It's easy to think that everyone has what they need. But that's not true. And if there's poverty in one of the wealthiest countries in the world, how much more is there in the poorest countries? At the beginning of this message, we learned that two people, Mary, Bill Gates' mother, and a philanthropist by the name of Charles Feeney, influenced Bill Gates' to give away a large portion of his vast fortune. But there's more to that story, and I saved it to this moment. According to his wife, Melinda, while Bill was visiting a hospital in Africa that treated tuberculosis patients, he called her, and he was very choked up. He had just seen firsthand how awful it was to have tuberculosis, and he said to Melinda, honey, it's a death sentence. To go into that hospital is a death sentence. And from that moment on, Bill Gates was never content to donate money to that one hospital. He wanted to do things that could help thousands and millions get out of poverty and away from tuberculosis. You will never, ever have a spirit of generosity until you see the needs that are there, the brokenness of humanity. Several years ago, 400 of us from this church, believe it or not, went to Swaziland, Africa to help people in that impoverished country plant crops. We were there for 10 days, and none of us who went on that trip will ever forget it. Swaziland is a desperately poor country, and at that time it had the highest per capita rate of AIDS in the world. We went there to serve and to grow in understanding, and we were given the opportunity in small ways and in profound, unforgettable ways. Believe it or not, one of our members sat in a hut and held a man as he died of AIDS. Now, before we left on this trip, we were told to bring large supplies of little gifts that we could give to the hundreds of children we would meet along the way. So I couldn't believe my wife, Donna, took one suitcase and filled it up with bracelets and necklaces and everything else she thought kids would like and took it with her. She was determined to have enough to last the entire trip. But when she saw the poverty of those precious children and heard their voices and saw their outstretched hands, she gave everything away the first two days of the trip. And there was nothing left for the rest of the time. I was with her. I saw. And I saw the children. And I saw their poverty. And I saw the brightness of their face when they saw something that might make their day better. Until you see and know the plight of the needy, you will never give to them. Once you do, you will never stop. And you don't have to travel halfway across the world to understand the plight of the poor. They're in every American city across rural America. Chances are good that you work or worship with some who are in desperate need of your help. If the world of American citizens knew the poverty in our country, they would be just as discouraged as they are encouraged when they know the riches of our country. So you have to change the way you think about money. And then you have to get in touch with people who need your help and realize God has given you the opportunity to make things better for them. So change the way you think. Expose your heart to the brokenness of humanity. Here's a little thought. Before you do the big things, do the little things. You're not gonna start with being a radical philanthropist. But for instance, consciously increase the amount you leave on the table for the waiter or the waitress who serves you in restaurants. And in case you don't know how to do that, if you notice, they're helping you now. They print at the bottom of your bill how generous you can be. You can either be a lousy person if you give at the top, but if you go all the way down to the bottom, God bless you and please come back, you can give more money. And I'm not saying you should you know, go crazy with that, but you know, don't have to be the best tipper. You don't have to be the worst tipper. Just kind of be a good tipper carry some money with you to give away to someone in need. Don't do it nonchalantly. Ask God to reveal ways to express love and generosity to the people you meet every day. And you don't have to be a grown-up to do this. I got a letter uh, recently from one of the grandmothers of our congregation. She said, dear pastor, since you're a grandpa, I'm sure you appreciate stories of generosity showing up in your children and grandchildren. I wanna share one with you concerning my youngest grandson. He's eight years old. His Iwana Club adopted a group of poor children in Turkmenistan, and each child in the club was given a jar in which they could place quarters to save up for other children. One day, my son saw that his son, my grandson, had put a $5 bill, his entire monthly allowance, in his jar. When my son asked him why he did that, my grandson replied, I just want the children to hear about Jesus. Anyway, I'd just buy another toy with the money She said, this touched my heart. It continues to make me think about what toy I could forgo in order to spread the gospel. Here's one that'll really be hard, swallow hard. Start giving more than you can afford. The next step in giving a little is giving a lot. And someone may say, well, Pastor Jeremiah, what is that? How much should I give? I don't believe I can answer that question for you with an amount But let me read to you just a brief paragraph from C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity, where he answers this so wonderfully. He says, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. In fact, I'm afraid the only safe way is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts and luxuries and amusements is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we're probably giving away too little. And if our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charities exclude them. The answer to the question, how much should I give, is then more than you can afford. We all spend far more on things we don't need than on the causes that are truly close to God's heart. This doesn't have to be a crazy negative, oh, I don't want to do that kind of thing. What it needs to be is start back where we started. Lord God, I want to be a generous person. I don't want to be growing old and become a grumpy old man. I want to be a generous man. How can I do that? Sometimes when the opportunity comes, you look, And you say, I'm not sure how we're going to do it, but I know God wants me to do it. And you do it. And then you watch how God supplies. How many of you know God does not work in a closed system? He works from outside the system. And he can bring income into your hand as long as you keep it open from places you would never believe. When you close your hand on what you have, you exclude God's help, but when you keep it open, he can take anything out of your hand that he desires, but he can also put in your hand anything he desires. In my experience, as I've struggled and learned about this over the years, I have never felt like God owed me anything. He always, always proves himself faithful. When you respond with generosity in your heart, God responds with generosity from heaven. It's just that simple number five on my little list don't be afraid of spontaneity i know the bible teaches planned giving but it also leaves room for spontaneity all of us have experienced the awkwardness of the long red light that extends the encounter with the homeless person who's standing at the freeway entrance I've actually read stories about people who really struggle with that. Some have even written letters to the Bureau of Traffic, seeing if they can get the lights sped up so they don't have to sit there so long and watch this. I mean, it's true. This is really annoying to a lot of people. We try to look past these people. We pray for the light to change. In a similar fashion, when we go to a convenience store, we fix our eyes doggedly on the door of the convenience store and not on the convenience store itself, where, of course, there are always people... Who need help. So I want to encourage you that in order for you to really develop a spirit of generosity, you have to leave yourself open to the possibility that in an unplanned way, at an unplanned place, at an unplanned time, God might want to speak to you about helping someone. Now, I know Donna thinks I'm featuring her in this message. This happens to be one message where there's two stories about her. And uh, I could tell you a lot more, but I'd get in a lot of trouble if I did. So I'm just gonna tell you this one more. Several months ago, Donna came upon a mother with two little girls who were standing in front of a 7-Eleven store here in our community. At first, she drove past them, but she knew in her heart she was supposed to help them. So she went to a nearby pizzeria and bought a pizza. And when she returned, she handed the woman some money and she gave the pizza to the little girls. And when she told me the story, she choked up. She said, honey, I have never seen two little girls so hungry and so excited to get a pizza. All of us face moments like that, don't we? And we sometimes have to not do it. Sometimes we have to keep going. I mean, if you stop for everyone, you'd never go anywhere. But here's how we deal with this, men and women. We ask God to keep our hearts open so that if God wants to speak to us by his spirit and encourage us to do something, we haven't built such a blockade against it that he can't get through to us. We ask God at the beginning of the day, and maybe as we see the opportunity coming, Lord, do you want me to help here? Is there something I can do here? Weekly, perhaps daily, we pass people in need, not only street people, but those who have fallen on hard times. As adults, we know we can't stop for everyone, but that doesn't mean we should never stop. If we can't do everything, that doesn't mean we shouldn't do anything. And if all of us would just ask God to give us a sensitivity to that, we'd be helping a whole lot more people than we do. And that's how people become known as generous people. That's how a church becomes known as a generous church. We work hard to promote the spirit of generosity corporately, but really what happens, it comes down to how generous are we individually. Here's one that I'll just touch on. This won't affect very many people, but maybe it will affect one or two people. Pray about becoming a radical. Hmm. Do you know what radical generosity is? You know what it looks like? Let me tell you. During the first half of the 20th century, there was a teenage boy named R.G. Letourneau who committed his life to Christ. He was at a revival when this happened. And when he became an adult, he went on to build successful companies. He held more than 300 patents in the USA. And in a radical reversal of the typical way of looking at giving, he committed to living on just 10% of his income and allowing the 90% of his income to be given to worthy causes. Beside founding Letourneau University in Texas, he gave generously to mission work in Africa and South America. He laid much of the groundwork that would support the explosion of Christianity that we have witnessed in the global south. When asked about his radical generosity, Letourneau said, the question is not how much of my money I give to God, but rather how much of God's money I keep for myself. <laughs> That's radical. I'm not there yet, but that's a goal, isn't it? To be radical in our love and in our generosity. Remember Charles Feeney, the billionaire philanthropist who inspired Bill and Melinda Gates? He made a fortune and then he grew it larger by investing wisely so that he could give more money away. In fact, he may have given away more money than any other major wealthy American in history. But Charles Feeney has never owned a house or a car When he was 75, he traveled in coach. He did never travel in first class. He wore simple clothes. He wore an inexpensive plastic watch. He likes hamburgers rather than steaks. At the end of 2016, he finally gave away his last $7 million. He may not have bounced a check yet, but he's working on it. (laughs) He was a radical. God hasn't called everybody to be radical, but we have a couple of radicals in this church. I know that. People that God has impressed upon that this is what they're going to give their life for. They're usually people that have great ability to create resources. But they don't do it so they can hoard them themselves. They do it for the kingdom. And I just want to tell you that story because sitting out here someplace is somebody who has that ability, that great ability to create resources. And maybe God has been speaking to you about becoming a radical. I won't tell anybody. Then let me remind you too that in your life you're either moving toward your treasure or you're moving away from it. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, we are told that we're to teach those who are rich in the world not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. And then he says they should store up their treasure as good foundation for the future so they may experience true life. Now, let me just simplify this. The treasures that we can send to heaven are in two different ways. There are only two things that are eternal, the souls of human beings and the word of God. Those are the only two things that are eternal. So whatever we invest in the souls of human beings so that they can go to heaven, whatever we invest in the word of God, those are treasures, the Bible says, go to heaven and they're stored up for us. When you're involved in those things, as a Christian, you're headed toward your treasure. If everything that you do is save money for your stuff, build houses, take care of all the things you ever wanted on this earth, you can have the treasure, but every day that you live, you're getting closer to the day that you die and you're getting closer to leaving your treasure behind. So whoever you are, you're either headed towards your treasure or you're headed away from it. Hey, I've chosen as much as I can to head toward mine. I always like the stuff that's gonna happen, not all the stuff that's happened. My dreams are greater than my memories. (laughs) I hope yours are too. So there you have it. Several years ago, a video was posted online of a woman who was selling roses on a New York City subway train for $1 each. In the video, this man approaches her and asks how much for all the roses she has. And he gives her $140 for the entire bunch of roses. And instead of taking his purchase with him, he asks the rose vendor to give these flowers to other people in other words he bought the flowers and then he gave them back to her and he says now you don't have to sell these i just want you to give them away and when the train stops he jumps off the train and leaves this woman utterly stunned and she begins to cry you can get the video it's on youtube maria lopez the bystander who filmed the encounter told the huffington post she started crying from the relief of someone actually being generous This one little gesture of humanity is so huge. It's a testament to the lack of love and the lack of generosity in the world. And she said, I think people are yearning for that. I agree with her. I think the world is yearning to see some generosity. And Christians ought to lead the way. We ought to be the champions of generosity. We ought to be known as people who love others, care about the needs of people who are less fortunate than we are, And we don't just stand around and watch it and talk about it in our small group, but we get involved. We find ways to make a difference. And it all goes back to the fact that we ourselves are the first recipients of generosity. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would have eternal life. God did that. He didn't just go down and send us some incidental gift that was in heaven. There's no gold or silver that could ever measure up to what he gave. He gave his only begotten son to us. That's how generous he is. And he says, if you will just receive him as your savior, you can come and live in my heaven forever and ever. Your sins will be forgiven. You will never have to feel guilty again because I love you so much. This is how I'm pouring out my generosity to you. Just come and take it. That's all you have to do. And for some of us, before we can ever be Christians who are generous, we have to be Christians in the process receiving the generosity of God. He shows us the way. The Bible tells us that when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And therefore, I want to urge you at the close of this sermon, if you have never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, Please take the opportunity today to accept the generosity of Almighty God and receive the gift of his Son into your heart. And once you do that, a spirit of generosity will start within you. You will want to be to others as God has been to you. That's how it works. And I pray that you will make that decision today. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us today and for uh, listening to the teaching on generosity. Tomorrow, we're going to talk about a life of integrity. And I hope you'll be with us as we conclude the week together in this series, A Life Beyond Amazing. You can get a copy of the book, Why the Nativity, which is featured in this film that we're releasing in, in just a couple of days. This beautiful film on the birth of Jesus Christ is like nothing I have ever seen. The reality of it. Uh, all of the animals. We had five camels on set one day, some thirty sheep, and and we had um, donkeys, and we had some goats, and uh, it was quite a thing to be a part of this. And I, I've never done anything quite like this before. I got to narrate the movie and tell the story. It was a wonderful privilege. I hope you get to see it. I hope it will be a blessing to you as much as it was a blessing to us to make it possible. And when you see it and when you have a chance to view it, I hope you'll tell others about it. Our goal is to get this in front of as many people as we can during these days of the Christmas holidays. The Museum of the Bible in Washington is going to play this film every day through the entire month. Uh, We are praying and hoping that it will be available on some other channels. and. We hope that you'll pray with us that we'll do a good job of syndicating what we've worked so hard to produce. So get the book, will you? Get the book, Why the Nativity? Send a gift of any size to Turning Point this month. All you have to do is ask for it, and we'll send it to you. And uh, we'll see you next time right
1: here on Turning Point. The message you just heard originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Senior Pastor Dr. David Jeremiah. If God is ministering to you through Turning Point, will you let us know? Write to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Fill your Christmas with meaning and joy with your copies of David's book and new docudrama DVD, Why the Nativity. Each is available for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your favorite smart devices or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries and instantly access our content. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, A Life Beyond Amazing, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible, drawing on more than 40 years of study by Dr. David Jeremiah. Take your personal Bible study deeper with unique introductions to each book of the Bible. 55 full-page articles exploring the essential themes of the Christian life. 8,000 study notes with insightful and practical content, an extensive cross-reference system, and helpful sidebars that extend to topics beyond the study notes. You can also take advantage of online resources available to you at jeremiastudybible.com. Great for individual or small group studies, this Bible is available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard version in standard print with several cover options. For more information or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca/jsb. That's davidjeremiah.ca/jsb.
0: A man said to his friend, I heard you made a million dollars on oil in Texas. Rolling his eyes, the friend said, it wasn't Texas, it was Kentucky. And it wasn't oil, it was coal. It wasn't one million dollars, it was two. It wasn't me, it was my brother, and he didn't make two million dollars, he lost it. Now if that doesn't give you a good reason to avoid rumors and especially gossip, I don't know what will. The fact is, we should traffic in nothing but the truth in all areas of life, especially when it comes to the most important kind of truth, which is spiritual truth. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's truth on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life.